Hey, everybody, and welcome to EdSoul, a podcast for educators by educators. Each episode, we bring you insights, techniques, and strategies rooted in research that you can put into practice in your classroom right away. I'm your host, Rachel Logan. Hey, soulmates. Sourceful is here to come alongside you on your professional journey as an educator and help you achieve your goals as you work to boost student success. Today, you're going to hear from one of our 2023 Sourceful Educator Summit keynote speakers, Dr. Anthony Mohammed. We're thrilled we had the opportunity to host Dr. Mohammed this summer and grateful to have the opportunity to bring you this powerful message, even if you weren't able to make it to the Sourceful Educator Summit this year. Dr. Mohammed shares his powerful message around transforming school culture and what integrity looks and sounds like when we truly support all students. We invite you to lean into this conversation and consider how it applies to your own work and journey. We're glad you're here. Let's get to it. Hey, soulmates. If you didn't get a chance to hear Dr. Anthony Mohammed at our Sourceful Educator Summit, not to worry because he has agreed to provide us with a bonus mini episode here on Edsel. Dr. Mohammed is a highly sought after educational speaker, presenter, researcher, and author of several articles and books, including Time for Change, Four Essential Skills for Transformational School and District Leaders, which, side note, just read in one of my own personal coursework, so I'm like, I get to interview the author. (laughs) So good. Uh, He was a practitioner for nearly 20 years, serving as a middle school teacher, assistant principal, and principal. So welcome, Dr. Mohammed. Thank you, and thanks for having me, and hello to all of the uh, Ed Soul people. All right. Uh, So I always like to start by asking folks um, how they're personally connected to the work that they do, um, particularly their why. And I know you just shared in one of our breakout sessions this very thing. So could you share with our listeners, what is your why for the work that you do? Absolutely. Um, I always saw education as a means of activism. Um, growing up in Flint, Michigan, and watching the stain of deindustrialization, and then the um, wave of crack and other replacements for industrial employment come in, totally decimate the city that I loved. Mm. Um, most of my friends and my companions weren't prepared for the way the world was moving. They thought the General Motors would be there forever. Mm. And when it wasn't, yeah. they weren't prepared. And my school system was pretty apathetic as well. I mean, the goal was survive school until you drop out and work in the factory yeah. or graduate and work in the factory. Mm-hmm. So as I was thinking as a college student, what could I do that would make a difference? Um, being able to get to young people early and infuse them with direction, optimism, vision, skills, I thought would make my worth, my life worth living. And now I'm 33 years into it. It's a compelling why. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So in your keynote presentation this morning um, that you gave today at our Sourceful Educator Summit, you provided the argument that counterproductive adult behavior has been and will always be the greatest challenge in promoting school improvement. And so if I'm an individual classroom teacher, or maybe I don't have a formal leadership title or role, what can I do as an individual educa- educator to promote a healthy school culture? Great question. I get that all the time. Um, William Waller in 1932 described schools as an ideological war between innovators 
and traditionalists. Mm-hmm. His observation was the traditionalists were louder, more aggressive, more resolute, and that the lack of uh, real passion by the people of goodwill gave the uh, traditionalist space to almost bully the environment. Mm-hmm. So to any listener that's listening, I don't pretend that you have the ability to change the minds of people that who think and act in a way that go counter to what you believe are best for kids. What I do encourage you to do is to have the courage to speak your truth, stand on your truth in the dark as well as the light, And if everybody would do that, then that space that Waller said the traditionalists got would be challenged. Uh, Sometimes a vocal minority has more impact than a silent majority. Mm -hmm. Most educators want schools to be healthy. They want to make an impact on kids. They're willing to be inconvenienced. They're willing to go through struggle. But they're typically intimidated by those who tend to be more selfish than 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 servants. Yeah. What I'd encourage a listener to do is to just have the courage to say, you know what? I don't think it's cool to talk about our community that way. Yeah. I don't think it's good to talk about our teammates that way. Can I eat my lunch in peace without hearing kids that I love defamed? Mm-hmm. Just the courage to stand in your truth starts to shrink the circle of influence that people who may not have the best intentions. Uh, place for them to impact and it would start to spread um, the positivity around the environment. Nice. Yeah. Just that it seems simple, but that breaking solidarity is um, that ripple effect that we're looking for. But it really solidarity with what? Well, exactly. Are you more concerned about somebody who was unethical and unprofessional being your buddy Mm. than standing up for the rights and the, well-being of children, then I have to question the foundation of that friendship. Is it a friendship or are you just fearful? Yeah. And I would imagine making sure you're grounded in your own why. You know, does my why line up with the words and actions that I'm either participating in or, like you said, being silent to? Because integrity is the willingness to accept repercussions for something you have a deep conviction about. Mm-hmm. And if a colleague doesn't give you a secret Santa gift <laughs> or doesn't invite you to lunch, yeah, that has to be repercussions we're willing to take. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to go to eat with you anyway. <laughs> you don't love kids and keep your stinky lunch. <laughs> yes. Can we, you know, can we cultivate these environments where it is more, um, what's it, like out of favor to say those deficit-based things than it is to, you know, Mm -hmm. like we want the space to be where it's like you're on the outs if you're making those kind of comments instead of feeling like you have to be working against it constantly. And we see it in athletics all the time when teams and organizations create healthy cultures. Yeah. If they bring in an athlete whose attitude or work ethic or disposition is not congruent, it becomes a very uncomfortable place for that person sure, yeah. to act and they typically leave or they get traded. Yeah. So we know what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to move into talking about the achievement gap and you have a book um, around this or um, the opportunity gap. And in, 
you propose that um, the primary culprit is our thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of mindset is needed from educators to work against the predictable disparities and outcomes that we continually generate? And I realize that's not a quick answer. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty large question. The term efficacy is floated a lot in our lexicon the last five or six years because of the work of John Hattie. And efficacy simply means the ability to produce a desired effect. It's when a parent has that child who was troubled, but I love you more than your trouble. Mm -hmm. It's when there's a family member who's going through a rough time or maybe engaged in substance abuse. But you know what? Your success is just is not negotiable. Mm -hmm. So if I have to sit with you in rehab or whatever, Mm -hmm. it's doing whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. So my argument is the students who are typically victims of the achievement gap, their their troubles don't typically bother us deeply. Kids of color, kids of poverty, kids with disabilities, immigrants, English learners. It's almost as if their lack of success we find an inconvenience mm. rather than a motivation to serve and to help. So what I found in the schools that were successful at doing this, they produced what I call the liberation mindset. They were the embodiment of collective efficacy. Mm. We are the door between success or failure. And what we do actually makes a difference. And we're not perfect. We make mistakes, but our intentions remain pure. So we're going to be on a relentless pursuit because we know it can happen. We just not, we haven't found the right key yet, but we're going to keep using these keys so we open up the door. Yeah. And the schools that were relentless like that, and I'm really concerned in this current environment of othering people, mm-hmm. becoming mainstream in our politics, people are creating policies and laws that are direct contradictions to the 14th Amendment, yes. equal protection under the law. Mm-hmm. But I think people are at a point where they're even losing faith at the Supreme Court. Yeah. will even uphold violations of the Constitution. So I'm concerned that integrity is is falling by the wayside and people are willing to do what's expedient. Mm. And if talking about misuse of immigrants somehow isn't politically expedient, we're burying it. If talking about an issue like LGBTQ treatment or the impact of enslavement. Um, when I used to go to Australia a lot, I used to tell them that, yeah, America's not perfect and you can criticize it, but one thing I think that we do is that we're willing to own our, our faults and talk about them. Mm. I don't think I can go, I can say that over the last three years. Yeah. Just bringing it up somehow makes you an enemy of the state. And I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. That word relentless mm-hmm. is. <laughs> Some is, is a powerful word to think about relentlessly pursuing those tough conversations. Um, I love how you said acknowledging in your breakout sessions, the elephant in the room, we got to be willing to, willing to put those conversations on the table and talk about them. And um, not just, not just because it's the right thing to do, but also I think when we're in the business of working with children, <laughs> right back to that, why, yep. how, how can education, as you said, I love that be an agent of activism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a great calling that 
listeners <laughs> we're all a part of. Yeah. So. And if we're not willing to do that, then quit saying that we serve all. Yes. Just truth and advertisement. Right. We serve those that we value. Right. And the rest of you, if there's some crumbs left for you, then good luck. Yeah. You can't say ethical things, humane things, and act unethically. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with people being unethical, but just own it. Mm. I'm not going to allow you to live comfortably in that hypocrisy. If you're going to claim it, then do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not, how, how did you say this morning, live in that gap mm-hmm. between our, what we say we do mm-hmm. and what we're okay with. Yeah. 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 This is powerful stuff. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Um, we are starting a new school year. And so, especially Minnesota, people are gearing up and getting ready to go back. Um, what do you want educators to know going into a, a brand new school year? I know that's pretty broad. It can, yeah. You can take it wherever you like. Well, this context is unique because it's probably the first year that COVID won't be the, the, the biggest topic of conversation. Yes. Even last year wasn't normal. It was normal-ish. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we get a chance to produce a new normal. Whenever there's a tragedy, there's a chance to learn from that and to innovate. And that window's closing. After 9-11, we were unified. There was a new sense of patriotism. It's a tragedy, but you can take some positive out of it. Yeah, absolutely. That I like educators to know that you don't have to go back to the old normal. No. You can produce a new normal. Yes. And, you know... Learn the lessons of COVID. Self-care is important. All people matter. We shut down our society for two years for fear of losing human life. So don't lose that idea that human life is valuable, that everybody's experience matters. So we can take the best out of that experience and produce a new normal in schools and let's create a new foundation for what the future can look like and not go revisit some of the errors of the past. Absolutely. So we know that you author and have written many things. What do you like to listen to, read, watch um, that you might recommend? And it could be an educational piece or, you know, sometimes people, many of our guests have said, sometimes I have to unplug and just do something that's a little lighter just for fun. And what do you, what do you recommend or what are you listening or watching? I love informational text. And even when I read narrative, it's informational. Mm -hmm. I love the alchemist. Story of Santiago. Uh, so when I read, I read, even if it's narrative, it's to enrich me as a human being. I love thinking, grow rich, mm-hmm. Napoleon Hill, um, the four agreements. So that's the kind of thing. And then I also read deeper stuff. Um, I'm really concerned about um, the socialization of black boys mm-hmm. through toxic entertainment, through overly policed communities. Mm-hmm through the normalization of marijuana, chemicalized marijuana, all of a sudden being legal and strategically placed. And it's the new crack. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing young men. So I read a lot about that Mm -hmm. uh, science around it. CNN just reported the other day, a new study came out that excessive marijuana use um, hinders judgment and long-term memory. So even when I read for pleasure, it's for information. <laughs> you are a lifelong learner. Yeah, it's just, it's just my personality. Yeah. If 
I want to be entertained, I just I'll watch it. It's not worth my my literacy. <laughs> I don't want to read Harry Potter. I'll watch the movie. Like I don't want to like if I'm be entertained, yeah. just make it easy as possible. Yeah, yeah. I don't read a seven hundred page novel. Like just show me the movie. <laughs> Oh, well, we we are, like we said, getting all kinds of information from you today here at the summit. And so thank you for squeezing in just a, even more time with us. For those that um, are listening on our Edsel podcast, we really appreciate um, the work that you're doing and that you could share that message with us here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's all we have for this episode of Edsel, a podcast for educators by educators. If you are loving the show, make sure you share it with a friend. Your personal recommendations are powerful. And if you really love this show, we would love it if you could rate and review us within your preferred podcast app. Your ratings and reviews will help other people discover the show and benefit from these great strategies as well. Check out our show notes for a recap of this episode and a list of resources mentioned or referenced. If you're a social media type, connect with us on Facebook. Search Education Solutions Educators Group and request to join. If you're an e-newsletter type, you should subscribe to our education e-newsletter by emailing us at education at sourcewell-mn.gov. The e-newsletter goes out monthly and includes updates and events for our local educators. Special thanks to our Sourcewell Education Solutions office support team and multimedia for your production support. This podcast is brought to you by Sourcewell. Sourcewell is one of nine service cooperatives in Minnesota. We are a self-sustaining government organization that partners with schools, local government, and nonprofits to boost student and community success. Learn more at mn.sourcewell.org.